Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to another episode of the Blue Crew, a New York Rangers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Johnny Lazarus, and it's going to be just me today, no Avery or Cody. Uh, I did a great interview with Steve Levy from ESPN, the legendary broadcaster and anchor, which we'll get into shortly. Just wanted to hop on here and answer some fan questions after last night's win against the Detroit Red Wings and prior to Thursday night's game against the Minnesota Wild. So I'm going to get right into it. And let's start with the first question from Chio Fayo. Thoughts on the Rangers absolutely folding in third periods this week? Obviously not ideal. I don't know what the reason was. I think a lot of it is the penalties they were taking last night in the third. The Rangers just couldn't stay out of the box. Uh, throughout the entire game, I thought they couldn't stay out of the box. But on the positive note, the Rangers were 6-for-6 six six on the penalty kill at home against Detroit, which is nice. But for whatever reason, they're just kind of running around in the third period, whether that's uh, you know, not being able to protect the lead. I'm not sure what's going on, but Peter Labulette did say that they're going to address it at practice today. So I'm sure the next time you see the Rangers with a lead in the third, they'll play a little bit tighter. They'll play a little bit more careful. Uh, the next one from Mike underscore D92. With only two games in the next seven days, should quick play both to give Igor more rest. Uh, the next two games are against the Minnesota Wild and the Columbus Blue Jackets. I say definitely start quick against Minnesota. But being that Columbus is a divisional game, I would think that the Rangers would start Igor Shosturkin, and then you give them that extra week of rest before they play the Devils. You don't want Igor to go in cold against New Jersey. You know, I do think you want him to see some sort of game action before the big game against the Devils the following Saturday. So I would say play quick against Minnesota. Let Igor get the start against Columbus and give him a you know, nice five, six days of rest there. But you want to see him get reps. You don't want to see him take too much time off. The next one is from Anthony Governale 19. Do you think we will ever give PP2 more minutes? Even after 5 nothing PP2, very little time. I think no matter what the score is, you're going to roll with the big guns, right? The Rangers have an unbelievable first unit power play. You know, right now it's Gustafson at the QB with Kreider, Mika, Panarin, and Trocek. You want those guys to get as many reps as possible. Uh, obviously, if they're not able to set up in the offensive zone or sustain any pressure, then you roll with PP2. But when you have these guys clicking the way they are, you want to get them out there as much as you can, especially when Foxy's back too. You want Foxy to get all those reps uh, running the power play as well. So, you know, I, I think in some cases when you have two well-balanced units, you know, it's it's good to get that second unit out there. But in the Rangers case, their first unit's been so good all year long, and it's, you know, arguably uh, the best power play in the NHL. It's top three right now. You want to see those guys out there as much as you can. So I'd say... Um, they're probably going to keep rolling with it, have those guys out there for a minute and a half, maybe get PP2 uh, the last 30 seconds or so, and um, you know, kind of go from there. Anthony Governale again. Gustafson looks awesome. Wheeler and Kako are ghosts. You know, listen, Wheeler, you know, didn't have his best game with the first line the other night, took two offensive zone penalties, even though I thought the second one was a little bit soft. Capo Kako, I, I didn't really notice much, to be honest, in the last game. Um, you know, I think right now it's a confidence thing for him. He talked about it with my partner, Matt Mugno at the hockey news. You know, he's not the guy that he should be out there. And I think he's trying to find himself right now. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's struggling, but he's definitely not playing up to par, uh, which is obviously, you know, below expectation for what we expect from Capo Caco. So it is unfortunate. Um, Eric Gustafson though, 
to the positive side has looked great. Been a huge contributor, eight points in 12 games so far, um, and signed for 825K, a huge steal in the offseason. But yes, I think the Rangers do need more from Capococco and from Blake Wheeler, um, especially if they're going to get first line minutes. Next one, Adam Monty, 27. Not a question, but we are a wagon again. And I agree, the Rangers are a wagon. They're playing. The first 40 minutes of the Detroit game, I thought was the best 40 minutes they've played all year long. Detroit looked like they were skating in quicksand. They had nothing going for them. Even on their power play, they couldn't generate much. Uh, The Rangers really were all over them, hounding pucks, not allowing any odd man rushes, backtracking well, supporting well, um, breaking the puck out well. Jonathan Quick was making saves. They really just did everything, um, you know, incredible in the first two periods of last night's game. But then, you know, obviously the third period was a bit of a stinker. But yes, the Rangers are a wagon again. Joe Manzi, 55. With the injuries, what player has the best chance to get an opportunity and run with it? This is an interesting question because the way the lineup is set up, I, I think, you know, after last night's game, I have to say Trocek. Um, you know, obviously Trocek was demoted to the third line center at the start of the year, Filipino getting that second line center slot. But, you know, seeing Trocek score two goals and seeing how well he played with Lafreniere and Panarin, that could be his permanent spot now where Hedel might come back to the lineup and play third line minutes. So, um, you know, this was an opportunity for Trocek to not prove himself because he has, you know, in his career, he's proved himself. I don't think he really has to prove himself. But um, as far as this particular opportunity goes where he can get that second line center spot back and have a chance to play with Panarin and Lafreniere. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's his opportunity to run with. And he did a great job so far with it. That line was unbelievable the entire night on the four check, creating offensive scoring chances, staying out of the D zone. So good for Vinny Trocek. He deserves it. And uh, yeah, I think it's his opportunity to run with. Jackknife82, what does Kako have to do to translate his solid defensive play into points on offense? I don't think it's solely on Kako. I think, you know, a lot of it is on Mika and Kreider as well. Um, You know, those two have, you know, created scoring chances a bit at five on five, but it hasn't been consistent. So, you know, for Kako, I think at at times he's a little guilty of holding onto the puck a little bit too long, maybe have a shoot first mentality more. Um, You know, I think we see him streak down the left side a lot with a shooting lane and he, you know, peels back and possesses the puck and just ends up, you know, throwing it below the goal line, possessing it, which isn't a bad play, but you want to see him be a little bit hungrier and get pucks to the net and even crash the net for rebounds. I mean, his one goal this year, you know, was a net mouth rebound. So he's got to get to those dirty areas a little bit more. And yes, that's somewhat of a hockey cliche, but I think that's what Kako just needs to do to, to find production is just, you know, go to the spots where the puck's going to be and bang home a rebound or, or just do something to get the puck to the net more. B. Adler, how about them? Uh, you know, I think that's just a hype up. And yeah, the Rangers, how about them Rangers, man? They look good. They're buzzing. Uh, it's great to see. Brandman7694, who is one player that killed a Rangers, but you respect? Mine is Ovechkin and Bishop. Who is one player that killed the Rangers, but you respect? Mine is Ovechkin and Bishop. Sorry, I just had to read that again. Um, hmm. Who's a player that killed the Rangers that you respect? I'd say Kucherov, maybe for me. Uh, you know, Nikita Kucherov is an ultimate competitor, super skilled player, loves to win. I mean, his uh, post-game interview after they won the cup with the Bud Lights, that was one of the best things I've ever watched. Um, you know, I think Kucherov is a guy that, you know, at times can be a little bit chippy, but he's just playing the game hard and playing the game the right way. And he's leading the NHL in points right now as we're recording. Um, so I'd say Kucherov is definitely a guy that I respect in the NHL that, did kill the Rangers in that 2015 series against Tampa in the conference final. Next one from drums all day. Seven, five, seven is Zach Jones showing Foxy esque patience with the puck in the offensive zone. Last night, he definitely did. He made two or three plays where he burned his winger. 
you know, went to the net. I, I would have liked to see him shoot the puck a little bit sooner, uh, you know, as opposed to waiting for that last second chance to get the puck to the net. But um, I thought Jonesy was really strong offensively. I think he got a little bit unlucky defensively on some goals against, you know, that Clem Costin goal. It wasn't really his guy. Jonesy's kind of standing still. Costin makes a great move to his backhand, scores a goal. Then on that cop goal, he's, you know, the guy coming on the ice, making a change. So, you know, tough one there in transition. But yeah, I thought Zach Jones's confidence and patience was incredible last night against Detroit. NY Rocky 93, CK Mika Cooley thoughts. So I actually saw a bit of this discourse on Twitter today. People wanting Will Cooley to get some you know opportunity with the first line. But then again, that leaves the third line being, you know, Kako, Bonino, and Wheeler right now, which I think would be way too slow of a third line, just you know, while Heedle's out and whatnot. Um, you know, do I think Will Cooley deserves a look up there? Yeah, I think he's been phenomenal. He's been you know, as physical and as, um, you know, effective as he could be in his rookie year, his first full season. I've loved what I've seen from him just competitive wise. And, you know, do I think he would boost that line? You know, I, I wouldn't say that he wouldn't. Um, but I just think what it does to the rest of the lineup might be too much of an impact. So I, I think Cooley just makes that third line a little bit more faster and a little bit more physical. And, uh, you know, I think if you put Wheeler, Benino, and Kako together, it just might be a little bit too slow. So I'd keep Cooley down there for now. Uh, when Hedl's back, if Hedl's playing on the third line, you know, then it's a different story. But just with the way the roster is set up right now, I just don't know if Cooley uh, bump, getting bumped up to the first line is the best thing for the depth as a whole. Whereas Cooley right now is proving to be that, you know, um, that depth player that's getting production that we need. So why not keep him there? Jamie Tatis, do you think we see often sooner than later if Wheeler can't get going? This is a tough one. I mean, yeah, I, I think, you know, where you want to see Wheeler get going and he hasn't, it's tough. And then you want often to, you know, kind of grow at his own pace in the minors and then come when he's ready is tough as well, right? You don't want to rush that development. I think the Rangers have been very um, outspoken about that. So, you know, you, you know, I do want to say, yeah, we'll see often sooner than later if often or if, uh, excuse me, Wheeler you know, isn't performing, but again, I don't know if they're looking to rush that development. The Rangers right now are in first place in the Metropolitan Division. So like, you know, why bring up Othman if, if your team's winning hockey games, whether Wheeler's performing or not, the team's winning games. And that's really all that matters, right? Like, you know, even if Kako and Lafreniere don't have a single point, the team wins hockey games. That's the goal. At the end of the day, you want to win. So, um, you know, I, I think it's still a little hesitant on if Othman's going to come up or not, but yeah, this Wheeler experiment is definitely interesting if he, you know, doesn't find a way to start contributing offensively. Um, we'll see what happens. It's gonna be very, very tough. Next one from PBS from PB Skak sixty eight. How long until Drury realizes the need for a right wing and makes a move? So kind of just what we talked about with Othman and Wheeler and whatnot. Um, you know, I I, I I don't know if Drury's out there shopping because I just said the Rangers are winning hockey games. Like, don't fix what ain't broken or don't. Yeah, don't fix what ain't broke. Right. That's the saying. Don't. Is that what that's saying. I'm, I'm struggling here. I need Cody and Avery to, to humble me here. Um, don't fix what ain't broke. I think that's the saying. Uh, sorry, excuse me. But I don't think the Rangers need to go shopping right now for a right winger at this moment. Uh, obviously, you don't want to wait for things to go bad before they do that. Um, you know, obviously it's good to keep your ears open to hear who's out there and hear who's available. I know Kane's been the talk, um, of the town and whatnot, but you know, while the team's winning games, I, I wouldn't go shopping or, or changing things up right now. Um, then again, if things do start to spiral, you don't want it to be, to be too late. So 
we'll see what Truri decides to do, but I'm sure he's, you know, keeping his his ears open for right wingers that might be available. Next one from Alex1181. What's the next step for the Rangers as far as edging? Not sure what uh edging is meant in this regard. Um yeah, I'm sorry, Alex. I'm gonna have to get a better descriptive question next time. Uh, I'm not really sure how to answer this one, so I'm sorry about that. I'm just gonna go to the next one. Ooh. Gonna go to the next one from and this is the last one from a good friend of the show, Rami Lavi. Uh New York media is known to be overly negative. You tend to ask mostly positive questions. There hasn't been a lot of negative yet. Is that a conscious decision? If so, why? Uh actually a great question, Rami, and I'm I'm really glad you asked it. For me personally, you know, I even if, you know, whether it's what I do or any job or anything that people do in general, um, you know, if you're interviewing for a job, I think it's always better just to ask positive questions. I think it makes the person you're interviewing feel better about talking to you. And, you know, especially for me, you know, I'm in the locker room trying to build relationships with the players, get the most out of the players as far as answering questions goes. And, you know, things are good right now. The Rangers are winning hockey games. So obviously there is a lot of positive to ask about. But I also know when things go wrong, which they you know, eventually will go wrong, uh, it's, it's hard to have a perfect 82-game season. I want the players to know when they see my face, they can feel comfortable talking to me because I'm not going to harp on them or, or make them feel bad about you know, the negative play and whatnot. I somewhat like to build trust in that way where you, know, you leave someone with a, a positive feeling about you. And that's something that I used to do when I interviewed for jobs as well. You know, I'd always make sure to ask, like, what was your most rewarding you know, campaign or, or what's the best thing about this job? I think it just leaves a good impression with the people that you're talking to if you ask them a positive question, because no one wants to talk about negativity. No one wants to get the questions of, you know, why didn't you do this? Why weren't you better there? Why weren't you in this position? It gets repetitive and it gets annoying and it's, 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 it's exhausting to answer all the time. So for me, I always try to focus on the positive. That's, that's what I was as a player too. Um, you know, I hated negative coaches. I hated negative teammates because at the end of the day, the, the, the negative energy just, you know, doesn't help in any way. Right. Um, you know, obviously there's, you know, certain times that are tough to be positive. I'm sure the San Jose sharks are going through a time right now where it was tough to be positive, but you know, I think you always have to try to find a way to, to keep that positive mentality. And it's something that I tell myself every day in a, you know, somewhat of a motto that I live by is good thoughts, make good things happen. Um, and that's just something I try to bring out in my questions towards players, because, you know, like I said, there's going to be moments where, you know, Chris Kreider, Artemi Panarin, and Adam Fox, and Igor Shesterkin, um, you know, whoever on the Rangers isn't playing well, and they're not going to want to deal with all the negative questions. And, you know, hopefully they'll see me and I'll, I'll just say like, hey, you know, what's a positive play that you made tonight that you really felt helped the team or impacted the game in a good way? Um, you know, I'm not going to ask, why'd you take two offensive zone penalties? I think there was someone who tweeted at me last night to ask Wheeler in the press conference or in the locker room after like about those two offensive zone penalties when they had no outcome on the game because Detroit didn't even score in the power play. So like, that's just a waste of a question, right? Like why kind of break a guy down for no reason if it doesn't have anything to do with the game? Um, so for me, yeah, Rami, great question. Um, you know, I, like I said, in, in any walk of life, I think it's just always better to try to have people remember you in a positive light. So, you know, obviously there will be times where I have to ask negative questions, but if I can focus on the positive, I'll always aim for that. And there are, you know, other colleagues of mine that can, you know, harp on negative stuff and ask negative questions, but that's just not really what my intentions or focus are. And, uh, you know, I know how important it is to have players trust you and have players, um, you know, feel comfortable talking to you. So that's why I take that approach. Thank you everyone for submitting questions this week. Uh, that's probably going to do it for this intro, but 
We got a great interview with Steve Levy from ESPN, so I'm going to send it over to him right now. Enjoy. This week on the Blue Crew, I am very honored to welcome on a guy that I happened to meet in the elevator at the Prudential Center in round one of the Stanley Cup playoffs last year. Was lucky enough to have a drink with him at the eighth wonder of the world, the Elbow Room in Fort Lauderdale. ESPN broadcaster, legendary anchor, celebrating 30 years at ESPN, the face of NHL on ESPN. Welcome to the show, Steve Levy. Steve, how are you? Good, Johnny. Thanks for that introduction. I appreciate that. All good things. Let's do it again sometime. Yeah, of course. It's tough to introduce you because I've been watching you my whole life and I'm used to you introducing people. But being on the flip side, uh, I tried to do my best. And off the jump here, I know, you know, you're celebrating three decades at ESPN. Unbelievable accomplishment. You grew up in Long Island from Belmore, spent a lot of time in Boston. But to your core, are you a suffering New York sports fan just like the rest of us? Yeah, I sat at that Jets Chargers game. I waited (laughs) Warning on Monday night. I dragged my kids along too, dealt with all the parking and the traffic and all that is MetLife Stadium. And it was awful. And I kept kicking myself. Why do I keep doing this to myself? And why do I keep doing this, start doing this to my kids too? It's not fair to them, you know. But as uh, as my colleague Scott Van Pelt says, um, nobody gets to choose where they come from. You know what I mean? And you can see I still got the Jets thing over my shoulder here. So. <laughs> That's uh, that's the really the only team I actually still root for mm-hmm. professional sports. Everything else I root for guys I like and coaches I like and those kinds of things. But uh, I still root for the New York Jets organization. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect segue. And I know this is a Rangers show, but I'm going to stick to baseball here. Okay. I wanted to go past Wikipedia when, you know, researching you for this interview. So I turned to my dad, who's a 59 year old man who grew up in Roslyn, Long Island. Yeah. And I said, Dad, you got to have some mutual friends with Steve Levy. There's no way you don't. So I received this picture over text, and I'm going to read the text message that I got. Okay. This ring a bell? Yeah. Uh, Carrie and Glenn and Eric Spitz. Yeah. So I got a text that says, tell Johnny to ask Steve if he still thinks the Mets suck. That picture was taken at a Mets suck party in Eric and Steve's apartment in Queens. They all worked at the fan except Glenn, and they were tired of the Mets sucking so bad that they decided to have a party in their honor. So, yeah, Eric Spitz, who was one of the big head honchos at Sirius XM now and all that stuff, he was my roommate. We lived in Regal Park in Queens together for, I don't know, five years. I was We were both commuting to Astoria at the WFAN at the time. And, um, and yeah, the Mets went through, <laughs> through some tough years. But I got that out of my – because in 86, I was there. My folks let me come home from college. I was at the Bill Buckner game. I was at game seven and all that. And so that had allowed me to move on past the Mets thing. I saw the Rangers win growing up. I was in the mm-hmm. building at the Garden. I was in the dressing room that night, game seven against Vancouver. And so that's really why I'm just sort of stuck on the Jets still. Just waiting for them to get the championship. Your dad's, your dad's buddy is Glenn or Carrie or Eric? Uh, Eric. Oh, okay. Yeah. Eric. Um, yeah, I received that. And I was like, I got to bring that up in the interview, of course. That's hilarious. <laughs> But, you know, speaking of Game 7 against Vancouver in 94, you obviously work with Mark Messier, New York Rangers legend. Henrik Lundqvist is being inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame this coming week. Yeah. And this is, a, this is a curveball for you. This is a hard one. Yeah. Who is the more decorated New York Ranger, in your opinion, Mark Messier or Henrik Lundqvist? Oh, that's not difficult at all. It's, it's, it's Mark Messier. You think so? I think so, yeah. It's a, it's a born of bottom-line business here. Uh, I feel like he carried the city on his shoulders. Uh, I feel the weight of that C on a sweater is a real thing. And while, you know, Hank deserves all the accolades and uh, backstopping the Rangers and getting them to the cup final and all those great years and 
I'm not sure he always had great teams in front of him, but you know he was always great. He kept Rangers in those games. Uh, but it's it's Messier for me, and not just because he would cross-check me in the teeth if I had said otherwise. I was going to say you might have to be careful when you answer that one, yeah. but I, I think it's definitely a, a tough response. I've asked this question in the past, and you know I think a lot of my generation w- would say Lundqvist just because you know lifelong Ranger spent his whole career with one team where Messier yeah. you know won a lot of cups in Edmonton. But then again, Messier is the hero, Henrik is the king. It's two different things, but yeah, the hero and the king, right? So and, you know, and for Messier, yes, he won the other cups elsewhere, but he he changed the fate of the organization for me. I think people look differently at the Rangers. When Messier showed up, there's some there's some legendary stories, and, and maybe you have heard it, maybe you haven't. Like his day one in the Ranger dressing room. Did you ever about the trash can? Did you ever hear about that one? No, what's that? So um, apparently, Mess sat down in his stall at the garden in the dressing room, and uh, he couldn't see everybody's eyes. He couldn't see the face of every player. They were like these, you know, trash cans. Just, mm-hmm. Hey, if you've been in an NHL dressing room, as I know you have, there's there's yeah. tons of trash everywhere, right? There's stick tape and all sorts of disgusting things you know, on the floor and everything. So you need trash cans. But I guess Mess had all the trash cans in the middle of the room removed. He wanted to be able to see and look into the eyes of every single player in the room. And that's kind of one of those legendary behind-the-scenes stories, as I understand it. And, you know, one of the reasons he was such a great captain, such a great leader, and, and maybe the greatest leader and captain in all of sports, not just hockey. Yeah, I wonder if actually that's the transformation as to why most locker rooms, not only NHL, but even college level are now circle instead of square. You know, I know when I was growing up, a lot of rooms were square and you, you know, you're in the corner seat. Yeah. See someone down the row. So I actually wonder if that's what, you know, maybe changed the locker rooms to begin with. But, you know, back to ESPN a little bit. Obviously, it's a very exciting year. ESPN has coverage of the Stanley Cup final again this year. Uh, I loved the, you know, reply all email commercial that aired a couple of weeks ago with the Vegas Golden Knights. Can you just touch on... You know, what goes in behind the scenes to those commercials? They're obviously so successful and you do a great job in them. And I actually know you grew up with Doug Ellen, so you might have some acting experience under your belt. Well, I know you've seen you in movies too. Yeah, so no, I don't have any acting experience. And uh, the anchors who do those commercials were not that funny. They're just really (laughs) well-written. You know, it's the advertising firm and it started with Wyden and Kennedy way back when. And the whole thing about it is they're just, they're understated, right? It's, It's less as opposed to more which goes against everything we do, right? On SportsCenter and the games, we're screaming, oh, crash, bang, boom, wow, what a play. And, and the commercials are the exact opposite. They're understated. Uh, the one with Eichel and Marcia so and the, putting the Stanley Cup in the dishwasher, you know, I don't say anything. It's just a smirk or a look. So that's the genius, I think, the brilliance of those spots. And it's fun to get to know those guys. You see the athletes in a different way. And uh, I always tell the athletes, hey, like, I don't care how good you you are in this spot. We're going to do it 40 times. It doesn't matter if you nail it every single time. Uh, that's just television and film. And uh, Speaking of Doug Allen, I'm wearing, can you see my shirt here? That's Belmore Kennedy. Uh-huh. That was my high school. So that was me, Doug Allen, uh, the creator of Entourage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kenny Dichter, who is uh, Wheels Up. Was, yep. you know, invented Wheels Up. And uh, Adam Schefter, of course, too. So... That's a pretty good, uh, pretty good class in high school, huh? Yeah, that's a, a big three or a core four, I'd say. It's like Matthews, yeah. Marner, Nylander, and Tavares over there yeah, in Belmore High School. More, with more success in the postseason, I like. <laughs> that's for sure. That's for sure. I actually wanted to ask you as well. You know, obviously, this is a question that I'm assuming you knew would come up: the Frozen Frenzy a couple weeks yeah. ago, first of its kind. 
Uh, I don't know if you caught wind. I was kind of bragging about it for a couple of weeks. I actually interviewed Kenny Albert a couple of years ago and said the NHL needed somewhat of a uh, power play channel. Um, yeah. So, you know, I was, I was fishing for credit on that one, but uh, obviously it went super well. Can you just talk about the making of that and what went into it? And people, some people might think it took like three weeks to just come up with the plan and, and it's probably years in the making, right? So first things first. So I have friends at the NHL network and they're like, Hey, wow, ESPN gets behind this. And they do it in one night. You know, we've been doing this for 20 years. Like they do mm-hmm. have that show on the NHL network where they whip around every single night and go through the game. So I get it. But uh, once the ESPN PR marketing department throws their weight behind something, uh, a lot of times it can, it can take off and catch fire. So Maybe this was an idea last year. And really, I think it was ESPN. And I don't know this for sure. And I'm not involved in this piece of it. But I I think it was ESPN's idea. We got a lot of really creative, smart people. I think we brought the idea to the NHL, to the league. And kudos to the league for being open to try new things, you know, and and see what we can make of this. And I thought for uh, uh, year one, it went really well. Look, it's a scheduling nightmare for the league. We get that. I think they only had two games the night before and one game the night after, right? Just because of travel, how many games in a row can you play and how many consecutive nights, those kinds of things. And the fans had to deal with it too, right? There were some weird early face-offs, some mm-hmm. weird late face-offs in different time zones to stagger the starts. So uh, I think it was a really nice collective effort. Uh, I'd like to see it be done again. You know, and Butchie and Weeks, he really handled the heavy lifting. Mess PK and I were doing just another triple header. Um, but it was fun to be a part of. It got a lot of great buzz for the sport. It got people excited in a period of time where, you know, hockey's not really first and foremost, right? It's, you know, it's it's late October to Tuesday night. We got banged a little bit because we're up against, I think, game seven of a, a baseball. Uh, uh, was it the ALCS or the NLCS? NBA opening night. NBA opening yeah. night TNT, right? So imagine on a different night, maybe we catch a break there and the numbers are even better. But Anyway, I'd like to see it done again and, and maybe more than once in a season. Maybe yeah, hockey fans got a little greedy. Every every time there's more than five games in the schedule, we need a frenzy. <laughs> right, right, right. And then the other night we did one game in the studio and I told those guys they're stealing money. You know, we go from the frenzy to one game, which is you know, two intermissions. Big deal. Whoops. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but I also know that you're, you know, you're very open to the criticism, right? I've seen you comment on feedback from ESPN and whatnot. Speaking of new ideas, new innovative ways to grow the game, is there anything that you want to see be done with ESPN or just hockey in general? Listen, we're, we're always trying to, to tweak it a little bit. I'm not sure what else you can do on the game broadcasts themselves. I think where ESPN shines is the before, the after, uh, all the promotion we can give to it. And listen, all due respect to our friends at TNT, you know, they're on really in a six-hour window one night a week, mm-hmm. Right. And so we're sports all the time, 24-7, ESPN plus the power play. And so I think that's really the value of ESPN, right? You know, you can put it on in the morning, get your highlights there and all that kind of thing, Sports Center, You know, Van Pelt's got hockey guests on now after our big yeah. game. You know, TNT does it too. But again, that's one night. We're doing it every single night. So, you know, little things I'd like to see, and this is purely cosmetic. I've been fighting this home white uniform thing forever. I'm on board. Right? Yeah. And uh, – so I did the game the uh, last week in Boston. The Bruins had their centennial home whites on, which are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. The Leafs came out in the road blues, two national anthems. Like it was, it was perfect, you know? 
And so uh, that won't impact the ratings probably. It would make me feel better. And I assure you, every time I see Commissioner Bettman, I mention it to him. So I was at the Garden last night, original six matchup, Rangers, Red Wings. It would have been perfect to see the Rangers in white and Red Wings in those, you know, those beautiful red jerseys and uniforms that they wear. I, I think it's just, you know, to your point, I think all the fans should be able to see the teams in their colors, right? You, you, it's, you know, you got McDavid coming to town and you rarely see the Oilers like you want to see him in that in that shiny blue, you know? A lot of the whites look the same, right? So if you're yeah. the whole, if you're the, you know, a visiting team, a visiting team for those season ticket holders who are the most important consumers, ask any club, right? That's the most mm. important people to them. And their bottom line, I think you want to see the colors of the visiting team. I yeah. think. Look, part of that is that's how we grew up. You know, back in my day, I couldn't get Ranger games. We couldn't get MSG on the island, so I only saw the Rangers on WOR Channel Nine when they were always in blue on the road. So to go to the garden, it was such a treat to see him in the white. It was, you know, it was like Yankee pinstripes. Like I'm, I'm weird about this stuff, Johnny. Like I don't think the Yankees <laughs> should wear pinstripes in spring training, like in, in their home games in Tampa. Like I think you should have to go to Yankee Stadium to see the pinstripes, the cathedral. That stuff is is sort of sacred to me. And I guess I get nerded out on the sweater uniform thing. No, I'm all for that. I think it's good to keep the traditions alive, right? I think hockey is, you know, somewhat of that sport that's now in a new era, this golden era that we talk about, but it's also important to keep those traditions of the past. I think it's a good mix of both. Everyone's argument is like, but when they were the alternates, they won't be able to do it at home. It's like, all right, they were the alternates eight nights a year. You know, it's not. And listen, I I assure you, the league discusses this every year. It's absolutely on the table, but owners, owners are deciding. And yes, the alternate sweaters come into play and they're looking to sell as much merchandise as they can. And I, I get it. I understand. You know, there were some years where ESPN didn't have the rights of hockey. I'm sure that was a difficult time for you. But, yeah. you know, for a kid like me, I'm 27 years old. I grew up every morning turning on you and Barry Melrose talking hockey. And, you know, obviously Barry has, you know, stuff going on right now and whatnot. But I wanted to ask you about him and your relationship with him and just how you two in general have seen the growth of the game and how you've impacted it yourselves. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, you will find out you're already on a meteoric rise in the industry yourself, John, but you'll find out like, you know, you become, you meet these people you've never met before and you become colleagues and you work together. And then over time, if you're lucky, they become friends. And over even more time, if you're really lucky, they become your family. And, uh, and that's what Barry Melrose is to me. So, you know, we did a bunch of tributes to him and I want to reinforce because it's a fine line there. He's not dead. Like, he's fine. You know what I mean? He just <laughs> yeah. retired. He's like anybody else who retired. And he's dealing with some health stuff. But I talk to him almost every single day. He sounds great on the phone. Trying to get a, you know, a lightning games. I can go down and see him there. Even a Buccaneers game. We'll see him on ESPN radio. But um, he's just the greatest guy ever. And he's so much more than – he's everything hockey. But he's so much more than hockey. He's a, a history buff, both, both U.S. and Canada. Uh, so well read, constantly reading books, loves movies, science fiction, uh, period pieces. Like he's so much more than just hockey. And yet he is all about hockey. And really he kept that light burning mm-hmm. for those 15, 16 years. We did not have hockey. Look, you know, Butchie and I, we're doing sports center still in the two, but Barry's the only hockey analyst. We have, you know, we have 30 NFL analysts, you know, 15 NBA analysts, 15 Major League Baseball and one hockey analyst for the longest time. And it was Barry. Whatever time you needed. And you needed a 30-second Duck Sharks highlight at <laughs> 1.30 in the morning. Here comes Barry walking into the studio uh, looking like a million bucks. And uh, listen, I really believe he deserves to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. 
not for his playing career, though he would tell you otherwise. <laughs> not for his coaching career, though he would tell you otherwise. Uh, but the Foster Hewitt for the broadcaster or contributor, whatever it is. Um, and and what I would tell you is, if you're not sure, you walk through an airport with Barry Melrose, mm-hmm. and it's like Elvis. You know, he's rock star, and people run to him, they flock to him, pictures, autographs, and all because of one thing. And and they know he's hockey and mm-hmm. what he has meant to hockey in the United States of America, especially when ESPN did not have the rights. Uh, I, I think he should already be in the hockey hall. And I know uh, myself and a bunch of our guys are going to try to fight that fight for him for the next class. Yeah. I think, you know, I speak for anyone listening as well. Like, you know, just want to see him back on TV. Right. I think, uh, you know, I grew up watching him every day. Like I said, um, yeah. I also wanted to mention, you know, a good friend of mine who I actually met you with at elbow room, Emily Kaplan, um, you know, similar in that sense. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, I think it was probably like 1 a.m. or something. You you and Mess come strolling into Elbow Room and I'm with Emily Kaplan. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm too drunk to meet Mark Messier right now. Please do not introduce me. But I went up to you and I was like, what's up, Steve? How's it going? Let me buy you a beer. Yeah. Um, but I before I let you go, because I know we're kind of getting close on time. I do have to just get your favorite Mark Messier story, you know, working with him on the desk at ESPN or you know, whether it was covering, covering game seven back in 94, anything you've got with, with mess. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, listen, he's, he's hockey royalty, you know, he, he just is, I mean, everywhere he goes, he's so recognizable. And I think it's the face, right? It's the, it's the forehead or forehead, depending upon where you're from. That and selfie he took like a couple of weeks ago was, was pretty scary though. Huh? That Instagram post. I don't know if you saw it on like Halloween. I think you might've posted some. Oh yeah. He was, he was Elvis. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It was Elvis. He did a great job because he really didn't know it was Messier. Could have been <laughs> the costume was so good. Uh, PK looked like PK, and <laughs> I looked like me. There's not much you could do with that. So, uh, Mess and I disagree on two things pretty much. It's the temperature in the studio. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's from Edmonton. You would think he could handle it a little chill in the air. He likes it warm. And um, the other thing is, we get into this argument about the Maple Leafs. Because to me, we can't learn anything about Toronto in the regular season. To me, we'll start to find out about these Leafs end of April, you know, end of that first round kind of thing. And Mess, who obviously knows quite a bit more than I do about the game, uh, he believes we're learning every single game in the regular season that you build up and uh, pieces of your play, how things change, uh, those kinds of things all add up. The bench decisions, the dressing room, practices, those little pieces all add up to what you become in the middle of April. And so and so we shall see. But uh, he's been great. It's obvious, We did a game at the Garden last year. So that was a really cool experience for me, you know, to walk into Madison Square Garden with Mark Messier. Yeah. And, you know, still all half the jerseys in the building, are, you know, have his number on it. The banner in the rafters, obviously. And uh, again, is you know, there's only a handful of guys, and he's so modest. He doesn't want to take credit, uh, really, for anything. And um, you know, he always rode shotgun to Wayne Gretzky, right? And he mm-hmm. every time people want to give credit for to mess for things in Edmonton, he always goes to Wayne. You know what I mean? That's just sort of the, who he is. That's hockey. That's the kind of guy he is. Uh, but he is, make no mistake, he is. He's probably underrated, actually, if you can believe that. And uh, he is—he's hockey royalty. He just is, and I'm—I'm I'm so lucky to be able to sit next to him and learn from him every single night. And uh, uh, it's been great. 
That's super cool. And it's been a blast watching you guys. And last thing before I let you go, yeah. if you had one message to Ranger fans this year who are now hopeful with their start under Peter Laviolette, what would you say to the you know Ranger fan base right now? I would say don't lose the hope. Uh, I know the start has been unbelievable. But a lot like I just said about Toronto, like I, I don't feel like we can learn anything about this Ranger team. They're going to make the playoffs, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to be there. They're not going to be, you know, ninth. They're going to be in some way, shape, or form. And I would also say, you know, look at the season the Bruins had last year. I feel like the division title means if it's not meaningless, it doesn't mean all that much. Just mm -hmm. get in the playoffs and be playing your best hockey come the middle of April. So I would say for Ranger fans, cautious optimism. They have the right pieces. The talent is there. There's no question about that. And um, I think you just got to be healthy and, and playing your best when it, when it matters most. Yeah, beautifully said. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate you hopping on. And uh, hopefully we can do this again come playoff time when the Rangers are there. Let's do it again, Johnny. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, continued success to you, pal. Thank you. Appreciate it. I really want to thank Steve Levy once again for hopping on the show. So cool to talk to him and hear his stories. He's been a legend of the game for 30 years now at ESPN. That's going to wrap it up, though, for this episode. We're going to have another one coming out uh, Tuesday, not Monday, because the Rangers play at home Sunday night against Columbus. So we won't have our typical Monday episode. We're going to push it back to Tuesday. Cody Avery and I will record on Monday evening. So we'll ask for you guys to submit your questions uh, probably around Sunday night after the game. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Steve Levy, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Have a great weekend, and LFGR. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.